This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycast. Coming up on today's show and cravings, we have with us in the studio Linton Tapp and Don Marzano, two chefs, and I am Tad Lombardo, and Peter Dillon, our host, is uh, got the day off today, and we will be um, speaking with you about uh, sustainable farming and uh, taking care of country. Guys, welcome to the show. Um, Linton, we've got a, a, a big show today, and, and Dom, same thing. We've got a, a lot to get through, so we'll, we'll do the best we can. Um, let's talk sustainable farming, farming and um, local producers and um, mm. get, get to the good stuff in that regard of things, and then we'll, um, we'll have a break in a little while, but we'll get going through. Uh, first, tell us what you're, you're doing at the moment, Linton. Uh, well, I've just moved back to Melbourne um, yep. after a hiatus in my home territory of Northern Territory, Darwin. I went, moved up there, chefing, moved up for love. So I'm back in the in the most livable city in the world, and I'm so happy to be back. I'm chefing at a cafe called Cheerio at the moment, yeah, which enables me to also juggle a part time media career. You know, hosting a cooking show, My Market yep. Kitchen, along with you know coming on great programs like this and yep. contributing to different publications. And you're a big advocate of, of farmers, and and obviously, growing up on, on a farm, uh, you know, in yeah. territory. So it's it's something that you know I'm a firm believer of. You know, you don't really know something until you walk in that person's shoes. Yeah, um, and. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, the, there's that age-old saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you t- can't take the country out of the boy. Yeah, that's right. And that's so true for me. I, You know, I only moved away from the properties that, uh, when I moved to Melbourne four years ago. Yeah. And it's still in my blood. My family's still on it. And sure. that's why I'm extremely passionate about the agricultural industry and the aquaculture, but yeah. especially the beef industry. You know, it's really close to my heart. That's my upbringing. Right. That's my family's um, business. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really passionate about everything that happens with them in policy, in mm-hmm. weather, things out of their control, you know, and that I think spreads across the whole farming community within not only Australia, but the world. That's right. And there's a, there's 
so much work working against the farm. You know, forget about the weather and the yeah. things you can't control. <laughs> but I mean, just for an example, you know, with the situation with milk earlier this year, yeah. and, um, you just shake your head and wonder why that even happens in the first place. And and you know, without food, we have nothing. So um, yeah, it's just a bit yeah. it's a, it's a bit um, unfortunate, I think. Um, but there's things we can do um, as individuals and as consumers, of course, um, to try to, to, to work that, you know, and turn it around. Yeah. Um, just using the milk situation as I, an example, there was a huge backlash um, with regards to that. And, and people, you know, used their dollar wisely, and it made a difference. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, we put a lot of pressure on the big retailers. You know, we don't have to name them. But I think we also have to look at ourselves, you know, a bit of self-reflection. Us as consumers are the reason why they're so big, you that's know. Right. And they came about, you know, post world war ii and recession in australia when we really had to intensify our farming practices to get cheap food and a lot of it really quickly um now society has developed in a way where we don't need those processes and don't need those suppliers so we really need to go back to the basics and you know i think dom can talk about that you know he's been a chef for many many years yeah Yeah, definitely about supporting the locals supporting um the local farmers yeah we we for our production rooms, use yep. uh, Gippsland milk. And yeah, you're from the Crafting Co. in yep. um, Smith Street in Collingwood. Yep. And um, tell so us a little bit about that. Uh, we, we do a lot of things from the grassroots. So we, we do our own cheese production, small goods production. So all the pork and that we use that we put through our um, small goods production facility, yeah, it's all um, from sustainable farms. And... Um, yeah, we use a lot of that and the milk mm. the same. Yeah. So that's really, really important to us. But it's not just about supporting those guys. It's also understanding that by doing that, you can get what you... You also get what you pay for yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, they do put the time and effort in, um, mm. but that also shines in the product as well. Definitely. Which gives you, always gives you a better result. Mm. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm at the market pretty much every day, the Paran market, which mm. I'm, I'm very fortunate about. And you see the quality of the produce. And yeah. then if you go into, you know, a, a supermarket and you see that quality of produce and difference between night and day. And there's yeah. not that much of a difference in price either. I mean, I, I'd, for myself, and, and I'd be more than happy to pay a little bit more for, for produce yeah. if it's a better quality and, and better taste as well. I uh, mean, being yeah. chefs, you guys know. Yeah, that definitely. That's... It's all about taste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. If, that, if that's what you get when, you know, when you f- finish doing what it is yeah. that you're doing, yeah. Yeah. You and know I, that straight away. I yep. think you so. could uh, comment, all of us, uh, you know, are from the cooking hospitality industry, yep. you know, minimal input for maximum output when you're buying from these lovely bespoke farmers who you know every farmer and especially small scale farmers they love their product you know the the beef farmer from the gippsland the dairy farmer you know from the new south wales region the wheat farmer from the queensland wheat belt you know they all love their product and they all put so much effort into it and they're giving you you know they're giving dom from craft and co the best they can possibly give and you know as chefs and as people that eat that food you can really recognize that and that's their their hard work, their yeah. blood, sweat, and tears, and that's what it is. You know, I think a lot of people are are, are sort of detached from that a little bit because of mm. the fact they they might be going to a grocery store. I mean, at least at a market, you can actually speak to the person who's selling it, and you get that expertise and that knowledge. And yeah. um, and 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 I think you know, ultimately, people do crave that. People do want to know about the provenance of where their food comes from, and and you know, the ethical side yeah. and how it was grown. And it's it's such an important 
part of life now, I think, is, at least in Australia, maybe not in other parts yeah, of the exactly. world. exactly. And uh, understanding where it comes from, yeah. what went into it, yeah. gives, I guess gives you an appreciation when you do kind of when we serve it up in the restaurant and can give it to our customers and say, yes. hey, listen, you know, we know this we know where this came from this is what we did with yeah and i think australia in general we've um developed this mentality where we are really focused on the provenance of food like i was doing some um pop-up interviews in sydney once in a in a grocery store and you know met a few um foreign nationals yeah um mainly from the european countries sure. and the uk they couldn't care less where the food was coming from. And, you know, I was like, oh, why is that? And that's because the countries where they have from were all net importers, whereas yep. Australia is a net exporter. So we're very fortunate about the food that we have. Definitely. We have an abundance of it, but we have to really put this focus back onto not only the provenance of the food, but the community of the food, you know, and back to our farmers, the right. sustainability and making sure they're getting the proceeds so they can keep putting it back into their business. And that's what it is, too. I mean, at the end of the day, they're trying to make a living as mm. well. And it's such a tough industry to be in. Yeah. And the, the problem is, that, is, like you say, you know, if we, if we lose our farmers, you know, all the farms and, and all that local, the producers, yeah. I mean, we're in trouble. Um, you know, you don't want to be in that sort of situation. So I think it's, it's something that people need to really um, try to get a grasp on and, and try to understand a little bit better, mm. um, you know, and make better informed decisions when buying things um, yeah, yeah absolutely like uh, um dom you're probably in the best position to comment on it like fads when people the yeah. consumers are following fads you yeah. know that can really cripple an industry you yeah, know definitely. definitely yeah yeah like the wheat farmers i think oh, you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know don't get me wrong there are definitely definitely celiacs out there absolutely. but you know i think gluten-free has become very fashionable at the moment um, there are some health benefits to it yeah. but at the end of the day, you're talking about a percentage of a community that stopped eating gluten because it's been, you know, yeah. sort of vilified yeah. for whatever reasons, yeah. and then that can have a flow-on effect down yeah. the way. I want to talk more about that. We're just going to take a quick break and listen to some community service <laughs> announcements, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Manny Fellil, and you are with Pete Dillon on Cravings on Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Cravings. In the studio, we have Linton Tap and Dom... Marzano, sorry about that. Um, a lot of names to remember. Um, and we're talking about sustainable foods, farmers, things like that. And we were, um, before the break, talking about um, consumers having informed choices mm. and, and things that we can do um, at home um, to, to make sure that we are giving the respect to the to the local farmers and local producers and, and doing that. Any suggestions, Linton, that you can think of that, that might be helpful for people that might wonder how to do that from that point of view? Well, the very basics of it is um, back to the farmer's markets, back to basics, hey? Yeah. Um, you know, not only are the farmer's markets generally what's in season, you know, we yeah. have to get – I think that raises a, a key issue itself is seasonality. You know, yeah. with the big supermarket chains, we've gotten used to seeing oranges on the – you know on the shelves year round and potatoes and pumpkins whereas you know most fruits and vegetables and even seafoods for that matter and meat you yeah. know we talk about spring lamb it should be only eaten in spring right so when it's at its best yeah exactly sure. you yeah. know and f for that reason most uh, ingredients are, have about two to three month life yeah and you know and then that's when now that's when our um Cookery should come in, our yep. chef skills and all that about preserving, curing, you know, and making those ingredients last, yep. not just looking at another 
area within Australia or looking at dark, cool rooms or importing to keep it on the shelf. Right. And and I think, too, you know, doing things like you, you do at your work, Dom, the, the craft and co. You oh, know, we you've preserve got, everything. Yeah. We, take the, we make the most of every yep. season yeah. and we just preserve that product and make enough for the year. Yeah. Look, I'm blessed with space. So I can do that. Yeah. But I'm also cooking for a lot of people. But at mm. home, um, you know, a dark cupboard can be filled yeah. with jars and, and preserving's fun yes. as well. It's not yep. just that. It's it's fun. It's a good way to get connected to your food. Um, mm. It's a very it's a very simple process. Whatever which whichever pro- product you decide yep. it is to mm. preserve. I mean, we do classes in salami making, and they're getting right. more and more popular. People are loving mm. that. The first year they have a go, they just kind of want to get over the nerves. And right. the next mm. year they're making for themselves for the year. Next thing you know, you speak to them a couple of years later, they're making mm. for their friends, their family, right. and I mean it's th- it's encouraging that. Um, that kind of mentality with people yeah. Yeah. understanding. You know, we talk about oranges yeah <laughs> buying them in winter making enough marmalade for the year it's not right. a lot like yeah. really if you look at it no, if you made three kilos of marmalade i'm sure that's oh, breakfast no, for the and year. that's for the whole and family for the year <laughs> and it's not you know they're not hard things to do and yeah that's re- a really really good yeah. point about seasonality understanding what's around yeah yeah but it's not just that like if you go into a supermarket and even you're just going down your dry store you know you're dry aisles you're looking at yep. your grains and your pulses and everything's mm. imported you dried fruits that's but right in australia mm. we do awesome biodynamics yeah mm. grains pulses everything mm. the dried fruits every, we've got a really good regions and areas that do a really good job even mm. victoria yeah you, well you know, shepparton's a really big region yeah, for exactly. it yeah. Yeah. spc Sunra- originated yeah yep. sunraysia all that they do all these really beautiful fruits and then you go into a supermarket shelf and you're looking and you're going yeah. made in turkey yeah, yeah. Ava- really, it's about availability and price. But yeah. if we can support these guys and keep these areas going, yep, yeah, it's going to be good for our future. So, and even um, you know, to the point, you you guys are doing an artisan Christmas market. Yeah, is that tomorrow? T- yeah, that's yeah. tomorrow. So yep. yeah, we'll be um, hosting fifteen producers. Yep. Um, from what time? Know, I want to come. Yeah, yeah <laughs> ten till two. Ten yep. to two. Um, yeah, we're going to be. You know, I guess if you want to do your Christmas shopping, you've got a foodie member of your family yep. you can probably all friends yeah, yeah just come yeah. down and buy for them there's going to be we've got um you know pudding we've got silver penny puddings yep. we've got ch- um, chocolate producers books for cooks are going to be there mm-hmm. with um books on cooking and about alcohol yeah. and things like Tim that and amanda yeah 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 it's going to be a really good day we're going to be um launching our limoncello Oh, so, oh, beautiful. So we've, had, we've had the lemon skin steeping. Is that your parents' so, secret recipe? Uh, yeah. It is, it is actually from right. from a bit of a generational thing. So yeah. Yeah. talking with Sebastian, our stiller, and just sort of working out kind of how we were going to do this. And it was good. And then, it, yeah, it evolved into my recipe. How you're going to get him to take it over. But, you know. Get him to do it without giving your recipe over. Uh, no, it's, not a, right. it's not a secret. Is this no. like a Coca-Cola <laughs> recipe? Yeah, <laughs> no, the kernels. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> secret sauce. No, I mean, you know, we'll be launching our uh, limoncello um, batch two of our gin. Yeah. So batch two of our gin is going to be, is going to have a bit more of a summer flavor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, Come down, you know, we'll be, you can sample some of our salami that we made inspired by the gin. Mm. Right. Uh, and great. also the cheeses, uh, the cheeses that we make in our production room. But yeah, there's lots of things that go on in yeah. the craft, going at the craft yeah. and coast. I think that's, a, you know, to continue on with what we can do as consumers, we have to, what Dom's doing 
from a restaurant point of view and a business point of yep. view, we have to start going back into our household, as you said, making stuff. We, yeah. we lost that connection with our grandmas and nonnas, unfortunately. Yeah. And like we're used to, you know, packet cake mixes yep. and all these pre-made things, which were cool in the 70s and 80s. But there is a big movement. Yeah, there's a big movement of people who do want to get back yeah. to which, doing it. Like, I mean, at these classes, you know, that we hold at the Craft & Co., we... Um, have people coming from all kind of mm. walks and it might be i mean the last one i did was the pastor class and we yeah. were just yep. talking next thing you know this there's uh someone there who's talking about she was german she's talking about how her grandma made sauerkraut right you know a premium sauerkraut you know to purchase is one thing but to kind of make those things at home buy the cabbage yeah, yeah. do it as you know as but part it's of interesting. your larder for home it's mm. it special. is and 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 even from the point of doing it your own, you know, you're in control of what ingredients go yeah. into that cake mix, for example. Yeah. Uh, have you ever looked at the back of the ingredients list? You know, there's things on it you don't even know what they are. They're just numbered. Yeah, and, exactly. And usually they're preservatives, colors, things yeah. like the flavor. So we're ingesting and, a lot of things that, you yeah. you know, can't be good for you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you, if you go back to that basics of cooking where you are making it yourself, you eliminate those preservatives. Yeah. And, you know, you can still make cakes but you're not getting these you know added fillers of refined food that is right. clogging up our systems right. this day and age. everyone talks about a healthy diet if you just go back to the basics of cooking and you are making things from scratch even if it be a dessert it's still going to be better for you than if you're buying it from the supermarket definitely yeah. definitely and and you get a, a sense of pride when you make yeah. something yourself at it, home it, i think you know even your is, delicious chocolates you know yeah. you know the ingredients that are going in they're going to be a lot better for you than definitely the, you know the ref, re, super refined creamy that's stuff right. you buy off the shelf that's right and the shelf life reflects on that yeah. too so yeah. it's it's one of those things that um has a big impact on it. And you want to eat them when they're fresh. You don't want to eat them, you know, three months later, four months later. It's silly. It doesn't make sense. So, um, but it's important when they're at their best, unless it's pickled onions. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But it is, it is trying to use seasonal things. And I know from my own point of view, I do try to do that with the, the, the products that I make. Yeah. Um, and, and trying to, to be sustainable as much as possible. Mm. And, um, what do you guys do as as far as being, chefs and, and that sustainability side of it um you know recycling or 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 just making sure the products that you're using are from sustainable sources things like that i mean that's a big part of of mm. understanding you know where our food's coming from as well yeah, exactly too. Um, i mean for us for i mean the diet that i grew up with as a kid like we used to preserve everything mm. yeah. i used to keep all the jars the bottles we used to make mm. around sauces and preserves and things and that's how we used to mm kind of live majority of the food that yep. we used to eat and i try to do that now and encourage my kids and i mean for us one or two dinners a week is something similar as like pasta and, yep. and our posada sauce sure mm. but for me to make that enough for the year cost me about sort of i don't know maybe about 80 dollars right and then i turn that all into sauce yeah. that sauce is then you know stored in bottles under the house and the process is a day and it's yep. a really good day mm. and from now i've got my neighbors coming my friends coming my kids school teachers coming. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like this. but you know like you look at it and then you think about the economics of it and what it is and what it means and what i'm doing for mm. my kids as well for my family i'm like wow that's something that you know is yeah. something that begins mm. you can see it from beginning to end so yeah. but you're also creating an experience for people and i think that's the other side of it as well yeah, it's yeah. not just it's food that, you know. it's that connection yeah mm. yeah definitely so i think um you know there's a lot of sustainability happening 
in the hospitality industry these days, and that's been a push from the. That's where the consumers have pushed. They've put a yep. lot of pressure on chefs, yes. and chefs have put a lot of pressure then on their suppliers yep. to make sure that circle is happening. But you know, I think today we're seeing quite smart menus. You know, yep. there's a lot of ingredients that are getting used not once, not twice, but three or four times yeah. and getting recycled. Kind of yep. And so that really reduces the yep. carbon footprint, yeah. the use of products, the amount of waste. And so that, that is helping the hospitality business to really shrink their footprint on the, you yep. know, carbon spectrum, waste spectrum and those uh, those sides of Definitely. things. Well, you'd be surprised how much people waste. Yeah, you know, yeah. And things that can be done from waste. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, we use... At work, we use the the grains from the brew house. Mm. We put them back into breads. Yeah. We make mm. spice mixes. We make we make all sorts of things, mm. and only not for anything other than it. Kind of just doesn't sit right to make rubbish, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's better to try and use it up as best you can. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. You know, regardless of what it is. Yeah, and like so, I, ways I, to do it. I think there's also like this, um, you know, modern living, and especially me. I, I'm a I'm an apartment liver these yeah. days and a lot of people may be listening to us right now it's like oh, i live in an apartment or i live in the city you know we can't do this we can't reduce our waste but you know i'm about to say worm farms are great ideas yeah. you know and that doesn't have yeah. to mean that you have to have a back garden you know most apartment buildings have a communal area you know you can pop a, pop, put a little garden there if yeah. you talk to co-op uh, and said oh i want to get a little herb garden going there and a little yeah. worm farm I'd say nine times out of ten, they'll work with you and try and get that going. And that's going to be great for the whole apartment building. All of a sudden, you're not throwing out your potato skins or your carrots peeling or anything like that. Back into that, into your herb garden. And herbs is something that I'm passionate about growing your own herbs for some reason. I think if you don't have to go to the supermarket once a week, spend $5 for those two bunches of herbs. That are generally wilted anyway. Wilted. You throw out on (laughs) Sunday anyway. You're like, oh, I didn't use that coriander. Out it goes. Or, oh, the rosemary's all buggered now. You know, so that's something I really think for sustainability measures, something as simple as a herb box on your window. Yeah, that's great. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. We're also going to have Neil Prentice from uh, Mundara joining us on the phone. And um, we're going to take a break and listen to some messages from our sponsors. Joy 94.9 has a huge range of programs available for podcast. In fact, Joy is one of the largest podcasting communities on community radio. If you haven't checked out our podcasting service, you're missing out. Visit joy.org.au, click on the podcast tab, and you'll find a list of Joy programs regularly sharing the best interviews, news, and reviews. There's tens of thousands of hours for you to enjoy, so check it out now, joy.org.au. Welcome back to Cravings. It's 29 minutes past one, and currently 17 degrees in Melbourne. We're expecting a top of 19. Uh, we've got Linton Tapp and Don Marzano in the studio with me today, and we now have Neil uh, Prentice on the phone. Uh, We've called him through, uh, out at uh, Mundara, out of the Gippsland area. Uh, Neil, can you hear me? Yes, I can indeed. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely pleasure. And you grow um, grapes specifically for wine, is that right? Yes, yeah, so we grow mostly Pinot Noir at okay. Mundara in Gippsland. Yeah. So way up in the hills near Walhalla, so quite high, quite cool. And it seems to suit Pinot Noir. Yeah, and, and you also um, produce Wagyu beef, is that right? Yeah, so for almost, no, more than 20 years now, um, my parents sort of have the farm next door to the vineyard, and 20 years ago I sort of convinced them to get into Wagyu and help them buy genetics and gave them advice, and 
also with my background in working in restaurants, I sort of helped them get to market. So, um, you know, 20 years ago, we started selling grass-fed, or initially grain-fed, and then ultimately grass-fed Wagyu into restaurants in Melbourne. Okay. And and how do you keep it sustainable um, as far as the, the practices that you employ um, in, in your uh, businesses to um, to keep that, that going um, from an environmental yeah. point of view? The vineyard's been biodynamic since we started in 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, not for any altruistic reasons. Um, really, because I thought it was a better way to grow grapes. So... For me, sustainability has a coincidence of a pleasant coincidence of quality. So, yep. when you want to do things at the best, at the finest quality you can, at the pointy end of quality, um, it is coincidentally, if I can pronounce it properly, yep. <laughs> coincidentally sustainable. Yep. Um, and that's a really interesting sort of thing to me. And it, it, yeah, yeah I, I definitely I agree that. with you. It's all part of the process, and it's all part of that quality mm. side of things. And if it's not quality every step of the way, it's mm. it's not quality. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, that definitely. Yeah. definitely. I think, you know, um, what Neil's touching on there as well between the relationships between quality and sustainability is that with sustainability, you obviously have to take a lot more care of your, you know, resources and ingredients. Yeah. You have to be there on the ground taking care of your crop, your, you know, definitely. herd. And so that means you are putting more effort into it and more yeah. love into your, what you're going to then pass on to the consumer. Absolutely, which is important to, yeah. you know, and again, it's a lot of people don't actually see that, unfortunately, mm. and that's where the whole sort of process um, suffers in a way, I guess, yeah. if that's the right word. Um, you know, you see... Oh, you always see it in the quality of the product. Yeah. Uh, at the end, yeah. end of the day, absolutely. Yeah, um, but it's just making sure that people are educated about that and yeah. that they understand um, what that is and, and, and how, how that affects the actual product mm, um, exactly. yeah. I think people have to start um, coming to the realisation that with the fortunate circumstances we have in Australia with our beautiful produce we also have to be expected to pay for that you know anything that's created on large scale yeah. you know and poor qualities and mass produced is going to be cheaper but it's not necessarily as good for you you know it may be GMO it may be using lots of pesticides yeah. herbicides all that type of stuff and, you know, it may save you money, but at the end of the day, it's not going back into the community we want it to go right. back into, and it's not going to be as good for your body in the long That's run. That's right. It's interesting. And, and um, yeah, it, it's one of those things, too, where where it's the long-term side of things, mm. you know. I mean, if you do something like that once or twice, it's, it's not a yeah. big deal, but it's it's that long-term and that continuous yeah. side, uh, side effect, if that's the right word for it. Yeah, yeah. and I think what... Yeah, hopefully if yeah. you... Hopefully, if you do things properly, you'll be doing it long term. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for us, it's always been about making decisions that are about 10 and 20 years' time. Mm, sure. Um, you know, even I'm, I'm well into my 50s now, I keep thinking of things that are, are going to not really have an immediate effect, but that are going to have an effect in 10 years' time and 20 years' time in terms of the quality of the genetics that we're using. Now, I'm stupid enough now to be trying to grow grapes from. See, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, How's that working? Is, you know, another two or three generations. It's going really oh, well. Good, okay. um, but it's another two or three generations until that's really going to sure pay off. Yeah. Um, God knows if anybody wants to keep doing it after I fade away. Talk, oh. about, talk about a legacy. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. And as a as a, a producer, um, Neil, I mean, what what do you find 
the biggest roadblocks are for you as far as um you know being a producer in australia and and trying to get your product to market is there anything that stands out as as being an issue that if it were fixed it would make things a lot easier um well with the beef there's one clear issue and that's prime safe um who are um, it doesn't affect restaurants so much because they're governed by local councils. Sure. But if you're going to retail meat in Victoria, mm. you're governed by Prime Safe. Who mm. am I allowed to say, asshole, on the radio? Um, <laughs> you just did. <laughs> we don't have a second second delay, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of officious pricks, and <laughs> most good restaurants in Melbourne are actually buying their meat. From Sydney and from Adelaide, from Vicks in Sydney, right? Yeah. Done it in Adelaide. That's interesting. Prime Safe have managed to shut down most of the decent wholesalers in Melbourne, right? Um, and the retailers. So, you know, if you want to go out and buy dry-aged beef in Melbourne, it's nigh on impossible unless someone's. And there are a couple of people, and I won't mention them, so they get don't get in trouble. But yeah. there are a couple of people circumventing the laws in the same way that. Um, you know, milk producers had to circumvent the laws to, and sell bath milk to be able to get people to, to drink decent milk in sure. Victoria. Mm. Um, so, yes, there's certainly a huge problem with Prime Safe. There was a, a review that the Labor government put in place 18 months ago, right. and it changed things a little, but not significantly. So, yes, Prime Safe are the major hurdle what? to quality meat in Victoria. Just out of curiosity, I'm a bit ignorant on, the, on why they would be closing down places. What's the purpose that they're shutting them down? Um, look, the thing they're most frightened of is dry aging of beef or dry aging of meat in general. Right. And it affects me with, with, with beef. Um, what dry aging does is a couple of things. Firstly, it, the cell walls break down, so it makes yep. tough meat tender. And so for a little while, well, we were selling old purebred cows, so 12 and 14-year-old cows, which usually were referred to as choppers and ended up mm-hmm. as mincemeat, um, but had the potential to be fabulous. So mm-hmm. we were dodgily dry-aging them for sort of 60 days, a little bit like some great Spanish cow meat, which had Cornish sort of advised me about. Yep. And the meat was absolutely mm. fabulous. So you get the tenderness from the cell walls breaking down, but the other thing you get is the production of glutamic acid, which is the evil MSG. Mm. Uh, yep. But it's also, you know, chefs instinctively see it in mushrooms and dried tomatoes, and consumers see it in champagne and Cooper's Red. It's that sort sure. of autolyzed glutamate. And you get the production of, of glutamates in dry-aged beef after about, or meat in general, after about 21 days. But Prime Safe see that as a dangerous process, so you're not allowed to do it in Victoria. But you're allowed to bring in dry-aged beef from South Australia or New South Wales if you're a restaurant in Melbourne. And they're processing it the same way? Yeah. Right, okay, yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? Safe. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's, it's a little bit about... Uh, uh, there are similar similarities with the raw milk right. raw milk cheese argument in Victoria and Australia yep. where you know, the food standards Australia and New Zealand have a recommended protocol that we could employ in Victoria to consume or to produce and consume raw milk mm. um, yeah. 
It's legal to do it in New Zealand, so you can consume raw milk in New Zealand. We have a common food standard authority, mm. but right. we can't do it in Australia. Yet we can still import the raw milk and the raw milk cheese and raw milk cream from New Zealand. That's crazy. <laughs> Doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> yeah. So it's bureaucracy. So well, I, I th- the wine industry... I'm sorry I'm ranting, but no. the wine industry faced some similar problems a few years ago, and several producers, with Max Allen as kind of cheerleader, um, were harassing the Australian Wine and Brandy Corporation. And bugger me, they actually reacted, changed things overnight, and we've now seen the Australian industry turn around from... you know, in England and the UK, Jancis Robinson and people like that were saying that our industry had become boring. Yep. And they're saying that it's become vibrant again because consumers, sorry, producers have been encouraged by a great export market. Mm. So now we've got you know, young people with beards making natural mm. wine and finding a market for that in the UK. So that's right. fabulous. Well, I only read a story the other day that um, Australia is tipped to become the best wine producer in the world, you know, and the most creative. And, and it makes sense because there's a lot of good things going on yeah. here from that point of view. And, and I think it's quite interesting. I mean, I, I moved here 21 years ago from mm. the, from New York and northern New Jersey. And when I moved here, a lot of the, the food, you know, it seemed that the inspiration was coming from outside. Mm. Um, where now that's ch- turned around yeah. dramatically. People are looking here for inspiration and yeah. kind of that new next thing. And well, well, absolutely. Like thanks to chefs like Dom and all these, yeah. you, know, you know, we put it back to like as well, our producers, you know, we got some really funky, cool young yeah. producers out there and older producers are doing amazing things. Yeah. But back to what Neil's saying, I think, um, you know, a good point there, you know, overall, without doing a broad stroke of the brush, is that policy really needs to get behind our, you know, agriculturalists and uh, aquaculturists. You know, we we really need to start preserving our industry because, you know, it is tough. And over the past 40 years, because of, you know, a lot of um, policy going the wrong way and, you know, the way that society has evolved in Australia, we've pushed a lot of people away from the country. You know, there's been rural urban migration um, for the last 30 years that has left the agricultural industry decimated, yes. you know, and, you yeah. know, that's why recently there was such a big debate on the backpacker tax because, yep. you know, that's such a, you know, lifeblood of the industry yeah. now. But, you know, I don't want to go get sidetracked too much into politics because we could talk about that all day, all yeah. week. But I think, you know, we really need to get back, you know, put some pressure, you know, as consumers again, not only on our big retailers, but also in our, you know, politicians to yep. start getting behind and putting in some common sense policy to support people like Neil getting yep. his Victorian beef into yeah. Victorian restaurants. That's right, which is that whole local thing. Yeah. That's all about, you know. <laughs> um, we've got to um, get a couple of uh, more messages, uh, community service messages, and we'll, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Anna De Silva, and you're listening to Cravings with Pete Dillon on Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Okay, and we're back. We've got Linton and Dom and Neil on the phone. Um, a little results on those um, messages. A couple played out of sync, but that's all right. <laughs> um, just getting back to what we were talking about before, um, you know, you're talking about government policy and, and mm-hmm. things like that, and, and you know, it it's interesting because you're doing a bit of research on the show. I was looking at other industries that have been supported by the government mm. in, in when they were having hard times. And some of those industries are non-existent in Australia anymore, for, for example, the car manufacturing. Yeah. And 
And while that, I understand why it was done and, and to, yeah. to keep jobs happening, you know, we've got, you know, farms and things mm. like that in this country and jobs that are related to that too that are are never going to go away. Yeah. Uh, hopefully will never go away. I mean, they're mm. here and, and, you know, it's on the land. It's all that sort of thing. And you just mm. wonder why so much money is provided for one industry mm. and there's another industry that almost looks like it's completely oh, overlooked. Absolutely. You, know? you, you see it forever. You know, uh, something that I was reading about the other day, which is worrying, um, you know, there's no doubt, uh, you call me biased, but Dom and yourself, Tad, and Neil, you can all comment on it. I think Australia mm. has some of the best seafood in the world. You know, I agree. You yeah, put definitely. our, you know, especially our Southern Asia, our cold water seafood. Oh, yeah, but yeah. don't get me wrong, you know, I'm from the Territory, Barramundi, you know, you put, oh, that, yeah. <laughs> you put that stuff against the seafood of the world, it's going to yeah. be up there with the best of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, the sad thing is Australia's a net importer of seafood. And how scary is that, yeah. you know? Like all these frozen seafood goods oh. coming from overseas, you know, and it's decimating our local industry, aquaculture industry. And, and not only that, we've got no idea about the quality of how that product was, was actually farmed or, or, yeah. or you know, and, and you see some of the reports of how it is done and it's just ruining yeah. The, yeah, the sea, you know, yeah. it's shocking. I, I haven't looked, read into it a great deal, um, but I saw there was some uh, white spot, I think they referred to it, in prawn farms found yep. in Queensland. And that, it's not due to the uh, seafood itself, but due to the food pellets coming in from uh, overseas. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing how that gets into the food chain. Yeah. And yep. it has an impact. Um, so it's really important to, to be aware of that. And yeah, you know, and another reason, bring it back about the whole reason why we're having this conversation today is local, you know. That's right. Um, I'm just so passionate about it because yeah. I've seen family and friends, you know, have to, you know, banks take their farms because, mm. you know, they can't sell to the local crowd. And, yeah. it's, you know, North Australia is a prime example of it with the beef industry. We can't sell Brahmins to an Australian. So, right. you know, they just, we, we historically eat Bostaurus, which is, you know, yeah. Herefords, Angus, those European breeds. And so the North Australian cattle industry, you know, we yeah. can't get our beef into the into the markets. And so when, you know, there's some um, instability in the international markets, yeah. they're all affected by it, you know, it comes back to try and support the local market. Definitely. And, and you know, they, they take their farms yeah. away, the ban- but it's also their home. It's yeah. not just their yeah. farm, you know. You so know. it creates a, a huge problem yeah. um, that is, you know, Unsupported yeah. in the country. Oh, you know, absolutely. Sort of and, and that things. touches on another subject, you know, with my work for Food Bank, you know, some yeah. of the fastest um, growing um, population into poverty is the agricultural sector, yeah. you know, because it's been decimated years through um, uh, poor policy, uh, natural disasters that, you know, they, they find themselves in a position, okay, one year the crop gets wiped out, second yeah. year um, policy uh, third year labor, right. you know, right? Yeah. So they get they yeah. get three crops or three herds or whatever they yeah. may be producing off. So all of a sudden they say, see themselves putting out money for three years, four years, five years. Yeah. You know, talk about droughts; they can go up to ten absolutely without getting a crop off. Yeah. And so all of a sudden they find themselves in a position they've had no money come in for ten years. They've been yeah. paying the running bills, and all of a sudden they're like, "Well, hang on, we can't even feed ourselves yeah. at the moment." Or make a profit, like yeah. you know, living, you know, to to do the normal mm. things that yeah, absolutely you, know, that you need to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. school, school education, and um, medical is a big one for the yeah. for the farming community, and that yeah. sort of back in the seventies and eighties really drove an exodus from there into the large uh, towns and cities yeah. was for those you know amenities that people want in modern yeah. society. Yeah, it's interesting, and, and Go on, Neil. 
It's interesting that the talk of sustainability has turned very quickly to economic sustainability, <laughs> just as much as environmentally well, sustainable. Because if you're yeah. not economically sustainable, yeah. what's going to happen is large ad- agriculture is going to take over. And mm. you know, we'll see, we've already seen uh, you know, the industrialisation of yeah. meat, pros- or meat farming, whether it's chickens or beef or... Mm. Yeah, anything like that. Yeah, feedlot beef. There's enormous problems with because of you know, subtherapeutic antibiotics, and we're getting resistant bacteria in yeah. hospitals now as a consequence of that. But they're all sort of consequences of farmers selling out to large agriculture, so so big investment companies that will own uh, a feedlot that has three or four thousand steers on it in, on all eating grain which is not terribly natural for steers to be eating grain um and we keep running into this economic sustainability i i honestly mm. don't know the answer so mm. for our family it's been about getting out of a commodity market mm. and selling directly to restaurants or through a wholesaler to do the logistics directly to restaurants so it's a difficult thing for farmers that don't have that access to the market because they're forced yeah. to sell to the supermarket. What do we all think of of co-op? You know, we've seen those sort of practices work yeah. in other countries. I've thought there's something that, you know, may work well for all the farmers that we love and know, um, you know, the small, bespoke, organic, sustainable product getting their way into the markets. Yeah. I, I think that's a good idea. It's It's a way of... Of making it more sustainable if mm. it's if it's managed properly, like as mm. the main thing, having the the the, the basis, the the bottom line mm. worked out properly, so that everybody benefits from it. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's also it's like economically sustainable. They don't. They, the co-ops need to concentrate on quality because if they're not concentrating on quality, they end up in that commodity market where the cheapest price is what sells something. Yeah. Mm. And also now you mentioned it before, um, you know, farmers being forced to sell their farms because they have no money to, to do anything with to large multinationals. But most of those large multinationals are foreign companies mm. and, um, you know, foreign investors, what the properties they can buy, you know, like housing properties and things like you know, mm. they're limited. And it, it just seems, well, why aren't they limiting this other thing for the same reason. Yeah. Um, it just seems there's rules for different industries yeah. and, and there really should be some sort of um, guideline that covers everything. Uh, absolutely. Like, you know? like a, and it's something that I think would be a sad thing to happen within Australia because I believe, you know, a large part of our history along with our Indigenous background is that, you know, Australia is a rich farming country. Definitely. You know, we, I think we got to a certain point in our history on the back of wheat and um, sheep farmers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and to lose that because they're getting pushed out for whatever reason, yeah. um, weather, climate, uh, political circumstances, trade, and, yeah. you know, foreign foreign businesses investing, that'd be a really sad day for everyone. And then yeah. that's when the consumers in the city will realise, but it may be too late. But And, and also, I mean, adding to that too is recently, you know... In, in the news that we've got a natural gas shortage in mm. Australia. Australia is yeah. the largest <laughs> exporter of natural gas. So, <laughs> and part of that, it, part of that flow-on effect is the, the largest wool um, yeah. producer in the country might have to close its doors yeah. because of that. And it's just, it's insane. It's insanity. Yeah. And you wonder, you know, who's in charge of the zoo if that's sort of the, <laughs> the, the, the deals that are being done, you know? You look at Norway, you know, they're sitting on all their resources. There's a future fund for their people. 
and yeah. it makes you think well we're in a, in the same situation and we've got a, a smaller population and that could be happening here too mm. um but for some reason it's just not and <laughs> I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of things you can go on, but it's just shorter one. election cycles that, that drive mm. that sort of thought. Yeah, we've got a, a, a new government every three years, and yeah. perhaps a new prime minister every eighteen months. <laughs> well, that's a whole other <laughs> issue. Yeah. very short, short-term yeah. thinking. Mm. Well, that's right, and and but but that short-term thinking damage you know has does a lot of damage long-term and um mm. um but it's 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 just that flow-on effect you know it yeah. affects the 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 wolf the wool um yeah. industry and and all that sort of thing you it's know? it's something that yeah um i think it isn't realized with you know as simple as going to the paran markets the queen victoria markets yeah. the south melbourne your local farmers markets in Dandenong or Wangaratta, yep. wherever it may be in Australia, by going to them, you're supporting the local community and, and putting money back in their pockets yep. because it is creating local business and jobs. And, you know, the the government always talks about that, but at the end of the day, you have the power to create exactly that and right. keep that going um, just by simply buying, you know, corns in season now. Go and buy some corn right. from the farmer's market, yeah. put it on the barbecue, herb butter on it, everyone's well, happy. Well, that's right. And... But it is. You're absolutely right. It's the small businesses and and those smaller producers and things that that are actually driving the economy. And mm. and you know, like doing this, your artisan um, Christmas market. You know, that's putting that on a on a showcase so that it's it's yeah, available definitely. and and yep. people will 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 know about it and they can you know experience it and taste it and I feel it. Also. I think we also connect um, yeah. a little bit more with a small business owner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're either their neighbour, our kids all go to school together, it's their, mm. our friend, yep. or we That's know right. they're all part of our yeah, community. community. But, but buying into a big, you know, multinational, buying their products or using their whatever it is that mm. they do, I mean, I don't know, I don't it, it doesn't... kind of break bread with the <laughs> yeah. you know, CEOs, it's, it's not mine. <laughs> no, definitely stick, not. You know? so no. When, it, when it's put to me like that, that's how I say it. That's how I see it. Yeah. You know? So kind of making that... Uh, affiliation, you know, that those guys down at the market that get up early and are doing what they do because yep. they love it, you know, I, mm. that's where that connection can be for everybody. Yep. Yeah. So, definitely. That connection, is, I think, is a, is a key point, Dom, you yeah. know, and so you know, I want people from the city's meeting, you know, Neil out on his farm, yeah. you know, seeing the, the beef and the Pinot Noir that he's producing, I think that's a connection we have to make again. Definitely. the is the city dweller back onto the farm. Because once upon a time, we either had a, a mum, dad, uncle, auntie, granddad, grandma, yep. cousins on the farm. And this day and age, I think that is a really small window now yeah. of the, that connection back to the rural industry. Absolutely. And, and one, of the, one of the connections I think we miss is that consumers miss the, or just don't understand how seasonality affects mm. what's available. Um, but well, it's interesting because in it's of, talked about all the time, you know, when you speak to chefs and things like that, and you just wonder why it doesn't actually filter down mm. as uh, like it should. I think, you know, the, the large supermarkets, you know, the, as I said, it's easy to blame them and we need to do more research ourselves as consumers. But if every day we see potatoes year round, oranges, yep. pumpkins, I think, you know, we're just tricked into thinking they should be there. Yeah. Yep. You know, and that's that's the issue that um, supermarket chains have created, and that's why farmers markets need to be pushed and need to be the start of your 
shopping week. Yeah, that's right. And even with, I mean, fortunately, we do have the labels now. So if mm. you're in a supermarket and you see oranges from California or something, I mean, you can pretty much guarantee they're not in season in Australia for yeah. whatever reason. So, so you can have a... Or asparagus from Peru. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, so you can, you know, you have to think outside the box that yeah. way a little bit um, if, if you're able to. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things where, um, I, I, you know, it, a lot of it seems quite obvious. Um, but then again, there's a lot, you know, more deeper issue um, around it mm. that, that needs to be sort of um, addressed and, and dealt with it, I think. Yeah. But, um, I think, you know, a key word to probably come out of this conversation is education of the consumer, you know, and yeah. we need to start, I'm a consumer, you know, you're a con- we're all we consumers all here, exactly. we need to start taking some responsibility and pushing the blame onto the big suppliers, the big multinationals yeah. and start making a, an informed decision, like, right, I'm getting down to Paran on 6.30 yeah. on Sunday, I'm going to sacrifice my sleep in because that's going to help, you know, Gary, that's going to help yeah. Tad, you know, and yeah. that, that in turn is going to help the pig farmer or that's going to help um vanilla beans from queensland you know there's all this local industry that can be supported just from the local farmers market absolutely and and i think um i think when it comes to and i find it interesting when it comes to these other issues that are on the larger scale as far as supporting farmers from policy levels and things like that um i I wonder why there's not more outrage that it's not being done i don't understand why there's not more outrage like we're all we all talk about it we all know it's there but it just seems that the power that the powers that be just don't want to listen to it for some reason. I mean, there are there are a few that do, obviously, but um, I, I don't understand from a from a people point of view <laughs> why there's not more outrage. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I find that a bit, especially because it goes against the you know the prize identity identity that we like to um, put ourselves next to as a foodie yeah. nation. You know, Australia likes to think it's pretty well known yeah. as. Um, you know, being connected to the food industry and, yep. or, and we're, you know, we're the connoisseurs of brunch, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. And, uh, One of the things, in terms of getting a connection from the from yep. farmers to consumers, one of the things that farmers uh, have been gun-shy of, and I'll admit this yep. myself, is we're frightened of telling people that we kill animals. Yeah. We're frightened right. of using the word kill. We're frightened yep. of abattoir. And we get Neil, sorry to interrupt you, Neil. We're going to have to, um, we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. Um, thank you guys all for coming in today. I really appreciate Linton Dom for coming to the studio. Neil on the phone. Uh, coming up next is the Escape Pod. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy Podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.